Hello, everyone. Today we have Arjun Pillai with us. So he is one of my inspiration, like back from college. And I got to know about him from Profoundis. So from where, like I learned about how startups work and all those things. So his startup, Profoundis, where he was CEO, was acquired by Full Contact. And this was also the first ever tech product acquisition from the state of Kerala. So it's a big deal. And after this, Arjun also found another startup named Incent.ai, which was also acquired by a publicly traded company named ZoomInfo. Uh, Arjun has also been an investor in multiple companies like Inflection.io, Topplane.io, and Servant Labs. So he is very inspirational and a person I look forward to interview. So I'm very excited to have you in my podcast and I'm looking forward to learn a lot from you. Thank you, Arjun. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Srishti. Thanks for having me. So let's start with Profoundness. As I mentioned before, like uh, I came across the startup in NIT Calicut where Profoundness visited us and uh, for some event there, I was lucky to meet the CTO of Profoundness, Anup Thomas Matthew. So from there, I just wanted to know my knowledge of Profoundness is way back. So I would love to know about the company in your terms. What motivated you to start the company and how did you set up your initial team? All those things. Yeah. yeah Profoundness was more like a, a result of, you know, a group of youngsters wanting to do something. Basically, at least when it was formed. So I graduated in 2010. I always wanted to do something of my own. Um, I didn't even really know what that meant. Um, then I went and joined Infosys. I was there for about one and a half years. But this thing of, hey, let us let me do something of my own kind of kept nagging me. I used to use a lot of emails back then. And even now I get a lot of emails. I respond to a lot of emails. So I, Gmail was in beta back then. Gmail was still very new. Then I hated several pieces of how Gmail worked. So I was like, I want to build a better mail client uh, that serves the people in the right ways. So that was the initial thing. And I was like, okay, let me start doing that. At that time, you know, when you have an idea, you want to kind of remember people who you know, right? The people who you trust. Yeah. And that ends up being your batchmates and friends. So I called up three of my batchmates. And luckily for me and us, all three of them agreed. They're like, okay, let's do this. So that became the early Profoundist team. Uh, my CTO, the Anoop, who you met, he was the person who came up with that name. Profound is the word. And IS, we added the IS. Uh, it's called neologism, which is creating a new word. So we just defined profound means deep. Um, so profound is we just said, okay, we are a team of deep intellects. You know, that's anyway. Uh, that's how we started off. Uh, we didn't know the word startup. We didn't know investment, none of that. So we did outsource projects. Um, we built like we wanted to build a product company because we knew that product can scale to millions of people if the impact is much higher. Now, all of our initial products failed. We built like four or five products in the first two years, all of them failed. And the fifth product started getting some traction and it kind of became something. I don't want to keep talking about the story. So that's how Profundus was formed. And that was the team behind how the whole thing came together. That's interesting. One thing which I wanted to understand, a few of your products failed like at the initial age. So one of my fears, if I think about doing a startup, which I have not been able to do till now. So yeah, <laughs> so one of my fear is that what if things don't work out and all those 
what ifs are there in my head so how did you get that motivation of like continuing even if you were seeing that failure so you know when you are very young you are very stupid so when you are stupid you are brave right that's essentially what was happening so if i was very smart if i understood that i was doing a startup and then every product that i was not able to make move forward that was each a failure if i had known all of these things it probably would have been difficult but i didn't know any of these things so in my world it was very simple i was working with my friends was i happy was i learning and i was i excited to wake up every day and go to work all these things were true in my world and i being very young we didn't need a lot of money to live we were living on like 13500 rupees every month that was our salary uh, my bike that my parents bought for me actually for my brother which i later got that was our company vehicle um, we used to do triples on that and all of that you know we used to live together in like a two bedroom place so anup and my we were in one room other two co-founders were in another room uh, so like the needs were less and i didn't really register every product as a failure just like okay that didn't work that didn't work we just kept going that happiness within us um, was the main reason why we didn't stop and the lack of understanding that this is a fail this is a fail and we didn't have any external pressure right we didn't raise external money it was all and the projects kept coming oh one other key piece is when you are running a company it's very important to have small celebrations and wins all the way so in our case there was always something or the other positive happening for example we got through multiple accelerators you know we got a grant from startup chile um, $40000 or $36000 to be exact so it was not a huge amount or anything but if you plot the whole company on a graph small small wins were popping up here and there so that always keeps you motivated right it's like watching a cricket match and every over every other over there's a boundary or a six that happens that keeps you excited in the match the same thing was happening so you talked about you got uh, some money from startup accelerator so i just want to understand how does startup accelerators work like what is the process of getting there and applying for uh, funding and all those things yeah yeah when you start up a company you know depending on how you are thinking about the company if you are if you want to run a services company then you can start with a service you can close a client to the service for them so that way there is some money that's flowing in but if you are running a product company or want to start a product company you don't have a source of income anytime so typically mm-hmm. what happens with most of the product companies it will take a long time to get to that inflection point from that you go like really up right you call it the hockey curve so that is where you need money that is where you need you know some time where you are figuring out what is happening at this phase the best place for an entrepreneur to go is to an incubator or an accelerator the fundamental difference between an incubator and accelerator is that incubator is not always time bound so incubator is a place where it's more like a space that you can sit in they offer a little bit more than space there is some mentorship there's probably some funding that will come your way but it is not exactly time bound to like 2 months or 3 months versus mm-hmm. accelerator is more like as the word indicate incubator is a place which you can go with nothing you can have an idea you can have a team or you can have nothing and you can still go to an incubator because you are getting incubated there versus an accelerator is a place where you go when you have a team when you probably have an idea maybe a little bit of attraction and you want to step on the pedal and kind of accelerate from there that is the accelerator so typical accelerator programs are anywhere between 2 to 6 months 
most of them are three months, like a Y Combinator or a Techstars. So by going into those accelerators, you are essentially accelerating your company. The way to do it is go to uh, AngelList or there's a, I think there is a site called F6S. Mm-hmm. There's also one called GAN, or at least there used to be one called GAN, Global Accelerator Network. So mm-hmm. if you go and put your search just there, you will come up with a bunch of accelerators. Just go ahead and apply. It will ask for your idea, your team, your video, a uh, written note about what you are doing, and you do all of that, and then you will get uh, selected. I applied for a lot of them, and I got mm-hmm. rejected for a lot of them, ended up getting three of them. So yeah. that's the accelerator and incubator journey. Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to add to those three words, Microsoft Ventures, Startup Chile, and Black Box Connect. So good ones. Yeah. As far as I know. Yeah. So uh, when did you start seeing success in Profoundist? How did you realize that, yeah, this is working out or coming to a mature stage, Profoundist? Yeah. Yeah. So when the market is actually starting to use your product, right? The customers are starting to use your product. That is when you will start having the hope. Okay. Probably I may have done something that's valuable. But when the customers are actually starting to pay money, that is when you actually know that it is your own to something. And these customers shouldn't be your you know, relatives or your friends. Mm-hmm. It should be people who you don't know personally. They came to know about you and then they came to your website. They started using the product and now they're like, hey, you know, can I buy this? Can I use this with my sales force? Can I use it for my company purposes? I'm willing to pay $100 for it a month, whatever. So that's when you know that, okay, you have built something that is valuable enough that a person is willing to take their credit card, put it in your system and say, charge me and give me the service or product, right? That's when you have something. Then the question is about how scalable it is. So this whole thing of stability in a startup does not exist because every moment you are stable, you are also unstable because you are trying to grow from where you are. So Mm -hmm. if you are running a company, Every day you are in a world that you don't really know about. You have Mm -hmm. never stepped in that particular moment at any point in time. So you are learning something new every time. So the word stability is not something that I would use, more like a product market fit. Every phase of the company, there's a different kind of a product market fit. And it keeps evolving all the time. But the thing to note for at the early stages is people using it, is people spending time, Those are all good proxies, but the best thing is, are they willing to pay money? If yes, how much? So this is very interesting because I have heard like similar uh, thoughts from uh, other people who I have interviewed. When people are willing to pay money for your product, that's when you can believe that you're doing even before you can think about uh, your company is doing well because of the achievements it has done till now. But when people start paying money, that means you have acquiring some ground. So yeah. yeah, that makes sense. So then the acquisition part comes in, like how you get into the acquisition story there. Yeah. So I never tried to sell the company because again, you know, acquisition was also new to me. I didn't really know that those things uh, kind of happened in the way it happened. So uh, it was new. So I never tried to get one. I was in the process of just building out my business, you know, focused on acquiring customers, making sure I have enough money in the account, raising a pre-CDC so that I can go and raise a CDC. So I was focused on all of these things. However, we already have, at that point, we had a bunch of partners, you know, who were using our data, who were taking us to the market, you know, kind of like partners. So Full Contact was one of those partners. 
And uh, when they were looking at the quality of data that we were giving them, we were at the end of the day a data kind of a company, business data company, let's say. In technical terms, it's called sales intelligence. So we were that kind of a company. And when they found that the quality of our delivery or product was very good, they reached out to me. I think it was December of uh, 2015 when I received an email from the CEO saying, hey, we are interested to pursue an m conversation with you guys. What do you guys think? And uh, I said, yeah, in principle, I'm interested and we'll see. So that's how it kicked off. And I think uh, February 14th of 2016, they came down, the executive came down. They were a Colorado US-based company. They came down to Kerala, which is where we were. We spent a couple of days together. And the second half of the second day, they said, you know, enough is enough. We heard enough. You know, we are ready to make the offer. And then, you know, there was a little bit of a negotiation going back and forth in terms of how much money, what is the structure of the deal and all of that. We ended up in a deal that both of us were a little bit uncomfortable, but also both of us were also happy about it. So we shook hands and then it took six months for the legal sites to close the deal. August 23rd, I believe in 2016, we announced the deal. Okay, that's, I mean, your first company being able to got acquired, that's a big deal actually. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, any company getting acquired is a big deal because it only happens for a very small, like a decimal point percentage of the companies that start. So yeah. it was very interesting. But as far as our profoundness was concerned, it was the first ever time a product company was getting acquired in the history of Kerala, as you mentioned. So yeah. that became like a milestone for the ecosystem. Right, like every ecosystem should celebrate exits. Acquisition is certainly one part of one big side of exit. So thankfully, the ecosystem actually came together. We got the company was celebrated. You know, the exit was really celebrated in yeah. the state, and it made a lot of changes in the ecosystem. Investors became more active. Startups became more active. People believed that yeah, success is possible by sitting out of this small place in the corner of India. You can still do a lot of things. So. From all of that angle, I think the outcome was pretty mind-blowing. Yeah. So 2016 was just one year after I graduated from college. And that's when oh, like wow. we heard about it. I mean, it actually inspired us and like being able to know that we actually met these people. That was like a big thing for me and even sure. my friends. Yeah. Yeah. So I also want to understand like what happened after the acquisition, after the acquisition completed, then, okay, I'm actually very new to acquisition and stuff. There are like two things I know that sometimes what happens is you give the company to the other person and like move on. And then other is like you continue with the company. So what happened yeah. over here? The first one that you mentioned is what they call as an asset only acquisition, um, okay. where, you know, you just hand off all the assets of the company, which is IP, customers, revenue, all of those are assets of the company. You just hand it off to the acquiring company and then move on, right? That is one structure. In our case, the structure was not that in, in our structure. So we started with four people. When we sold, we were 72 people. All the 72 people joined full contact. Um, mm -hmm. And I, they wanted me to move over to the US and take up a leadership role in the, in the headquarters office, which is Denver. I did mm -hmm. that. So me and my CTO, Anoop, and, and myself, we moved to Denver office here in US. Uh, all the rest of the folks remained in Kerala in India. And uh, I grew that team to about, at its top, I think it was about 160 people. That was just before I left. So, and then I left at the end of early, let's say early 2018, January, I left. 
Okay. That's the journey. I mean, you know, the, we integrated the companies together. We integrated the products together. Integrated the technologies together. So if all the full contact customers are getting some value out of the profoundest stuff that we okay. we did back then, so uh, it was a good outcome. Uh, it was not an amazing financial outcome as far as the founders were concerned. Just you know, being brutally honest about it. Um, the the investors made a good exit. Investors are profound, so they put in money and they made a good exit out of it. Founders, uh, we put money back in stock for the company of the here in full contact, uh, and we were expecting kind of a ramp, and that ramp did not happen for the company, and that could happen, right? Like mm-hmm. full contact was a really iconic company, managed to do a bunch of really amazing things in the market that it is in, but. Um, it did not scale or grow the way that all of us thought it would. It still exists. It's still, you know, doing decently well and all, but the mm-hmm. scale that we were expecting did not happen. So because of that, the founder's outcome was not the way we expected it to be. But still, it was a good outcome from all the other angles and for the team and for the ecosystem and for investors. Um, so overall, it, it changed lives for sure, including founders it changed lives for all of us a bunch of us like i moved on uh, earlier than some of the other people many of our team members continued with the company for a long time and then eventually everybody moved on and started doing other things in lives and every team member who were uh, who, who was part of uh, early profoundest team they're all doing phenomenally well now so if you go back and draw the graph of like the early team and where they are they are all doing like you know vp level roles c level roles making yeah. ton of money uh, all of that so I'm I'm very happy for that. Yeah, I have a few questions with respect to that as well. So first thing is obviously from a young person starting a startup, being able to get it to acquisition and then everyone growing up to a very high level is a big deal uh, overall. And uh, oh, I think... Oh, by the way, yeah. that they grew because of their skill. You know, I don't obviously. have anything to Obviously, obviously. <laughs> obviously, if you, uh, I didn't mean it that way. So I just meant that slowly. So I have worked in a startup myself. And what I observed is the technical growth of which I had, I wouldn't say that uh, in other companies, I didn't grow that much, but the opportunity, uh, you are able to deliver features within a day. So technical growth, it's very high. And I really yeah. like appreciate that for startups. So obviously, because sure. of their talent, plus, yeah, um, all everything comes together. Apart from that, like I want to understand. So I have watched two of the Y Combinator videos. And uh, from there, I figured distribution of company uh, should be done very carefully when you are starting a company. All those things should be decided properly, something around that. So I want to understand how should one, if someone is starting a company, how should one split and uh, do those? Yeah, equity and everything. Yeah, it's always good. And I have written about it recently in my LinkedIn. Um, So, yeah, this is. Um, a lot of founders make mistakes on this one. The way to do it is you have to have these discussions as early as possible with co-founders. And then there are some standard ways of doing these things. Like when you get equity, all the equity that you are getting is four years vesting and one year cliff. These are standard terminologies. It just means that all of your stock is not just awarded to you on that day. It's awarded to you that day, but you will only be able to get it over four years. You should have that discussion of how much should the equity split be on day one, day two, day 10, not, you know, day 100, day day 300. Mm -hmm. Um, Then the best equity split is the equity split that both of you can agree on. 
Mm. Right. There is no exact math for it. Like if you and I are starting a company, if you and I agree, the only number we can agree on is 50-50. Yeah, that's okay. But that's probably not the right thing, right? I, it's unlikely that you and I are bringing the exact same value, putting in the same exact amount of work, where I'm bringing, uh, taking the same exact risk. Uh, the opportunity cost is exactly the same. That's not going to happen. So somebody will bring in more value. Somebody's opportunity cost is slightly higher. So you compensate them with a little bit more equity. So have that conversation and that will also give you a perspective of who your co-founders are, right? Mm -hmm. Being a co-founder is like a, like being in marriage. There's a mm -hmm. lot being asked of you. There are more downs than up and uh, you have to live through all of that. So the earlier you have these discussions, the earlier you get to know who your co-founder is, what kind of a person that person is, and that will help you to drive the company in the positive direction. It's difficult to put a math around it, which is why I'm not saying, okay, it should be Correct. 60, 40. Yeah. You know, that's not, yeah. So, yeah, that's on the, my motivation to understand over here is if someone is starting a company, like then well, you have answered already, like when, when should we have this discussion? And the second part is something where you both, or if there are three people, uh, then we should all be on the same page and agree on the equity share, which we are deciding. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then like when investment comes in, how does that work around that? If you are comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Investment is like, you know, basically you are selling a piece of your company with a future value, right? So the investor is looking at your product and your company and thinking that, okay, this company is going to grow to X amount and even more than that. So I'm going to put a valuation for the company and give you a piece of the company. So let me put some numbers so that it makes sense. Imagine that when you start the company, you are starting off with, let's say, 100 shares, right? That's the total number of shares. That's not the reality. In reality, the total number of shares is probably closer to like 100 million shares or something like that. But let's for the easiness, 100 shares for a company. And let's say that when you start the company, each share is worth $1, mm -hmm. right? So imagine that you and I are starting the company. Let's say for easiness, I take 60%, you take 40%. Or let's do the other way. You take 60%, I take 40%. Yeah. So you paid $60 to get 60 shares. I paid $40 to get that total shares. Now, a new investor is going to come and he or she is like, you know, I want to invest in your company. You're doing such amazing things and you want to take some money. So then what you do is imagine that the person is willing to offer you $1.1 million valuation, right? Mm -hmm. So they're like, okay, you guys are doing something amazing thing. So, and then they're like, okay, I'm going to put 1.1 million valuation of the company and I want to put $200,000 at $1.1 million valuation. So then it's like, okay, they are putting $200,000 at 1.1 million valuation. So 200 divided by 1.1 million is mm -hmm. the percentage that they should get. Okay. Right? So, yeah. So let's say even not even, let's say just 1 million. So 200,000 out of a million is the valuation. So that's like what? One by five, which is 20% will belong to the investor. And now your holding, founder holding will come down to 80%. But okay. you hold 80% of a $1 million company. So when you purchased it, it was worth $100 in total. Now mm -hmm. you are holding 80% of million dollar company, which is $800,000. So your value net worth grew from $100 to $800,000. But mm -hmm. your percentage holding came down from 
100% to 80%. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, the easiest way to do this is based on share numbers, but that's actually complicated to explain on a call, which is why I use percentages. In many cases, you have to raise many rounds. Mm-hmm. A good thumb rule to think about is every raise that you do, you will end up diluting anywhere between 15 to 25%. Um, and then it keeps going. Hopefully, you know, you raise two, three rounds and you become profitable or build a big company. In some cases, companies go from from like angel round to seed round to series A, series B, series C, series D. I have like there are companies going series G, series K. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it depends on how you are growing the company. Okay. Got it. So one more question. I don't know if it will be relevant, but a company can either get sold out or can go IPO. How is it decided whether I have to sell the company or it's upon the founders? How does it work? Yeah, I mean, it is not fully upon the founders. It is. It actually depends on the founder. So it depends on how good the company is doing and what are the prospects of the company. The probability of company getting acquired is very little. But the probability of a company going IPO is very, 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 very little. So very few companies go IPO. So to get to IPO, a proper IPO, let's say on a proper um, United States exchange where you are able to do public. So basically IPO meaning initial public offering, which means that you are offering shares to ordinary people to raise money. So that is also an investment event. That is also an exit event where you are taking all of those shares and saying, I'm offering a percentage of my shares to the public and public is going to put money into the company. And I'm going to use that money to grow the company and also to give back the money to some of my existing investors. Right? This is what investors have been funding you for. Right? The exit yeah. event is when investors make money. So what you mentioned, the company getting bought out or the company going public, those are both exit events where investors make their money back. Got it. So to get to a proper IPO where you are successful in raising money and people are investors are excited to buy your shares in the public market, you need to be doing like it should be a sizable company like hundred million, two hundred million dollars in revenues. Again, this is not standard, right? For you to go IPO on an SMB exchange in India, it can be way less than this. Or if you mm-hmm. want to, I think Hong Kong probably has to, like, so depending on the stock exchange that you want to go public, it really uh, differs. And again, I'm not an expert on public because I've never taken a company public. I've just worked in a public company. Um, so I'm, I wouldn't even consider myself an expert in this. So the fact is you have to be at about $100 million, $200 million in revenue at a certain growth level, at a certain profitability level, at a certain margin mm-hmm. level. It is only very, very few companies achieve that level. Mm-hmm. When you, If you are at that level, then you go IPO. But that typically takes a lot many years. That takes, even if it, there, it's also multivariate equation, right? You are running a company, but so many things need to come together for you to get there. If that mm-hmm. is not the case, then during the growth of your company, even if you are growing well, the big companies would want to buy you out, right? Mm-hmm. For many reasons. Your technology is interesting. Your team is interesting. Your customers is interesting. Your revenue is interesting. You know, you are adjacent to whatever they are doing. So they want to add you to their uh, cure. So like, many reasons. So mm-hmm. at some point, they will put an offer in front of you. So at that point, it will be like, maybe your company is growing well. In both of my cases, this was the case in front of me where my company is growing well. I have some money in the bank account, but I have an offer in front of me. So it's like one bird in the hand versus two birds in the bush, right? That is where, to your point, it is the founder's discretion. 
founder's prerogative to decide what happens at that point. It is actually technically the board's decision. In the early stages of the company, founders is equal to board. Um, so uh, at that point, the founder has to make a call where am I going to take this deal or am I going to keep going? And that depends on the deal in front of that founder is. And in many cases, if the round is good or if the deal is good, the founders will take that deal, which is what I did a couple of times. Yeah. So that is the difference between getting acquired or IPO. It's also a third level where a founder has no other way. They are running out of money. They are not able to raise their next round. So their options are either liquidate the company, which means shut down the company or just get acquired. At that mm -hmm. point also, they will try to get an acquisition. The outcome might not be as good as they think, but they will still make some money. Investors will make some money. Um, and, you know, it ends up being a decent outcome for everybody involved. So that's also an outcome. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So now I want to get into Incent.ai a bit. So that was your second company and that was also acquired and it was acquired by a public company, as I mentioned before. So the company name is ZoomInfo. So I want to understand like the story behind the company like how you started it, yeah. what was the idea and like so on. Yeah. Bulk of the 2018 after I left full contact, I spent in consulting. So I consulted for about eight or nine companies during that eight or nine months time frame. It was a really nice time. I was making decent money doing consulting. It wasn't a lot of hard work, but you know, like once you're an entrepreneur, you always want to kind of continue to build out, you know, you want to learn more. There are things that excite you. There are problems that keep you awake. So I wanted to do something again, right? So I identified a problem statement. Uh, my longstanding friend, uh, Prasanna, was the co-founder in my second one. So we decided to team up and he became the CTO. I became the CEO. We started the company October of 2018. We started with a very different kind of idea. We, the company name actually was Data Chain. So data on blockchain was the idea. This was way before blockchain was like really cool. Uh, I mean, there were hypes of blockchain happening even at that time, but the, yeah. it really blew up way after that. But anyway, so we tried doing that for about four or five months. We got some traction, but what we also identified is the data world that we were playing in was quite shady in the ways of acquiring personal data out of people. The whole point of the reason for starting the company was to bring transparency to the data supply chain and make it easy for people to understand the quality of data. But if you are also doing shady things to do the right thing, you know, it's still shady, right? It's like people say that if you want to play with the pigs, you have to get in the dirt, right? The idea is to clean up the pigs. But in that process, if you are also getting dirty, then might as well not clean the pigs and be clean yourself. So I, that the company became something that I would have made money on, but I wouldn't be proud of building that company. And, you know, most entrepreneurs want to do the right things too, right? If we mm -hmm. just want to do something, then we would go take a job. Um, mm -hmm. So we decided to pivot the company, basically. That pivot got us to what we call us or what you call us Incent. The name Incent comes from uh, intent and consent of the buyer. So that intent and consent became Incent. So we built out a conversational, a chat-based platform that puts the buyer at the center of the experience and makes it very easy for a seller and buyer to talk in real time and hopefully make a business deal. This was a sales and marketing tool that helped business to business companies to make more deals done. Yeah, so that's how Incent came together. 
that is very interesting the chat based platform i anyone who has some complaint and want to connect with the company and if it is easy to communicate with the company about my problems that's actually solves a big problem and i think so that's very interesting so since this was the second company you might have applied some learnings or did you have any strategy around the company and all those things and just asking yeah 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 for sure uh, you know when you do anything for the second time right like you will do some things differently right you have learned some things from your past and then if you get a second chance and you'll try to do something better so this time yes we did a few things better like for example right from day one i did uh, proper bookkeeping i did proper accounting you know we had some mm-hmm. of the equity conversations very upfront uh versus you know like having to go through that later on yeah so or we did a lot of things differently the mo- probably the biggest learning between a first time founder and second time founder uh, especially if you are from engineering background you kind of consider product as the most important thing when you are a founder for the first time but then you realize that by the second company you realize that product is a key part but product is not the best thing or the most important thing go to market the way you take the product to the market the way you sell the customer that is the most important thing so when you are a first time founder you get in a room and you build out products that nobody wants and then it will fail that's what happened with my first company right we built like four products five products that nobody used or somebody used nobody paid because we all got in a room and we were like this sounds like an interesting idea let's go solve that problem right and and nobody wants it whereas the second time you clearly know okay you know it's not about the product it's about customers their problems how do we solve those so you do a lot more what technically is called as customer discovery process or validation process so you talk to a lot of customers you actually go out and make a sell or a sale before you write the first line of code so we did those things really really well we did the customer discovery validation process extremely well and uh, that is part of the reason why the product acquired or got to product market fit very quickly because uh, we did in a validation at the top to make sure that we are building the right thing so those are probably the different stuffs that we did some are very tactical some are strategic some are very strategic uh, but it was a different experience and oh yeah one other big difference is with my first company and second company i reached external rounds with investors first company i got 65 nos before i got my first yes for my fundraising uh, but since when i was doing for the second time my investors had already made money with my first company they were all more than happy to support me for a second time so they were, i got the money like pretty much at the time when i was incorporating they said okay we want to invest and i was like i have no idea what i'm going to do <laughs> they're like that's okay you will figure it out here is the money so i mean again you know when they when they have trusted you with money once and then you have grown up to their trust they are bound to trust you again uh, unless you do something horribly wrong uh, so that was also pretty different between the first company and second company Okay, so that part is very interesting. Everything you mentioned is awesome, especially when you're talking about before writing even first line of code. You're first to talk to the customer, figure out like what exactly their need is. So that is very interesting. And then obviously the best part I felt is when you went for investment, people were more than happy to invest on you. So that's very nice. <laughs> 
Yeah. So then you came up with this idea of making the chat-based platform, which is easy for customers to be able to communicate in real time with people in the company. So from there, did your ideas evolve more? Or so when you start with a particular idea, then it keeps on growing. Like that's my experience. So did it evolve and grow to something else or not something else or anything around that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, most of the products. So there is a famous saying, I think it was, uh, I cannot remember, uh, Steve Blank or Eric Rice or uh, Reid Hoffman, one of them, they, they told that, no product will sustain the first touch with the customer, right? Which means that you build something that you think was the product that they needed and you put it out in the market. And the moment that touches the market, the market is going to give you a bunch of feedback, right? And that feedback would, in most of the cases, start prompting you to make some changes in the product, maybe in the direction of the company. So that happened. Our, the yeah. first, we pivoted to Incent March of 2019. And we put out the first version out there probably June of 2019 in three months, four months time. Then we got validation July. We made changes in August and then we got back more feedback in September. So September is when we were like, okay, you know what, this is what we need to build. You know, here is the feature, here is the positioning, here is the messaging. And from September, we continue to build that out, September, October, November. December, we started going properly to the market where, you know, here is the product, here is how much it is going to cost you and all of that. On Jan 21 of 2020, when I signed my first customer. Mm -hmm. So between March 2019 to January 2020, the evolution of the product was happening through multiple touches with the customer. And even after that, it changed quite a bit. But that time, even the direction of the company was changing on a weekly basis. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So as in when you incorporate feedback, the new ideas will come up and then uh, come product will keep on evolving. So yeah, that like that is my experience and I'm just adding up to that. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So then your product, it has evolved and come to a, a place where you got your first customers. And then from your first customer, how did you reach to acquisition again? Yeah. yeah. So we were Again, we were continuing to build the company, you know, waking up every day, pushing the uh, company forward. We raised a couple of rounds in between. Uh, it was going good. We grew from like two people team to like about 35 people team between US and India. And I was in the process of raising a series A. Not even a process. It was like I was having conversations and a series A was almost going to happen. So Henry Shuck, the CEO of ZoomInfo, and I know since 2018 during my consulting time, I reached out to him over a cold LinkedIn message. Basically, I said, I know 100 data vendors, their data quality, pricing, and the agreement clauses. Do you want to talk to me? And he responded back, and that's how we got on a call. He had also offered me a job back in 2018. A good job, actually. It was very kind of him. He also helped me out with a recommendation letter for my visa. So I've had multiple interactions with him on the business side and also on a personal side, and he turned out to be really nice human being also a very like an amazing business person you know we from the outside i could see how he was growing discover org and it was like we were off struck at the way in which he was doing it so we were always in touch since 2018 and uh, i sent an email out to him about some company in canada racing a cdc so i literally wrote something like hi henry hello henry how's it going long time uh, i'm not sure if you saw this email uh, not even this company raising a, a, a CDC. I thought it was interesting for 
zoom info and here is why i think it, and i wrote out like my reasons for why that i think it's interesting that's a thesis that i've had he responded back he always does respond back quickly and he said hey arjun that's very interesting thanks for sharing but what you're doing is even more interesting to me why don't we catch up it's like okay when henry wants to talk you you talk because you know it's not every day that you get to talk to henry so i was very excited uh, he's kind of like the idol right the guy who is very young started at 23 built a company take to get public you know like this amazing person who you want to emulate in your life so got on the call as always very transparent upfront is like this is a space that i'm looking to make an acquisition in what do you think and i'm like um maybe like i'm not going to say no to you right now and he said okay why don't you go talk to my corp dev guy um so he connected me to one of his senior members on on his staff i spoke with that person and things kind of slowed down from there so and i was not pushing right i was not like okay come acquire me kind of a thing because the best deals are made when you are willing to walk away so i was like okay you know if they want let them come this was october 2020 actually uh, then things kept moving i think this was december january whatever time frame i was sitting doing my work on one day um, i got a ping from my own tool so it's a chat based tool right it had the ability to identify which companies browsing your website um so i got a note uh, because human first an important company it directly alerted me saying that somebody from zoom and for is on your website and i immediately jumped in and said hey hey there nice to have you here uh, i'm a big fan of zoom and uh, i said this and then the response came back saying hey arjun this is henry shak the product looks amazing we should catch up I'm like sure and then we set up the time to talk right in chat and then we caught up and this time henry was more specific he's like i want you to talk to your my executive team and he went to his executive team and said hey there's my friend who is doing a interesting chat company you should talk to him you should see the product i did an executive demo to everybody then things started moving very fast and i was supposed to go take my cdc discussions forward in bay area he said you know why don't you come over to vancouver washington before you go to bay area so i was supposed to go to bay area on a monday i Henry asked me to come over on Wednesday before Thursday we got into his conference room we started at about 9 o'clock until 4:30 p.m. 9 to 4:30 we continuously chatted on everything under the sun including personal stuff industry stuff company stuff my company stuff his company stuff other than 45 minutes where he had to take another meeting we were continuously chatting and he drew the vision of human for front of me and i was sold i was like yeah that makes sense to me i could see the world going there um he asked me like where are you i said you know i'm going to go talk to this bay area company and they are going to give me hopefully a series a term sheet he's like oh i'm not going to let you uh, go take that meeting come tomorrow and pick up the loi so i went to the office tomorrow and they, he gave me the loi letter of intent basically we want to potentially acquire and it's a legally non binding document but once you get an loi it means real stuff and he took the time to walk me through the loi there were a couple of things that i i immediately did not agree on he said that those are fine we'll figure it out and that's that i didn't go to bay area and oh uh, he, he gave me an offer that made sense to me that made sense to the company uh 35 people joined sumanfo the indian office of incent became sumanfo india office the the company when i sold we were 25 plus people in india today it's more than 310 people in chennai and uh, you know things are good uh, incent became sumanfo chat i went into sumanfo as the svp initially became the chief data officer and 
that I learned a lot. I managed to do a couple of good things for the company. Oh, that's awesome. Like the story is so inspiring, actually. And then you started with just 35 people and you were about to raise Series A and then like uh, you got acquired. It's a big deal, actually. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is interesting for a public company to acquire a company. And uh, I give a lot of credit to Henry for being decisive in that acquisition. And it turned out to be the right decision. That's what a great leader would do, right? When they have something mm -hmm. that they believe in, they go, go and act on it. And you know, thankfully, this decision became a, the right decision. And I managed to work really hard to try and make that decision right for him. And he managed to put me at the right spots in the company so that I could do my job in the right ways so that it ends up being the right decision. So both of those happened and all thanks to the entire Zoom Info team for, like I was a nobody, right? I was running a small company and to go into a company like Zoom Info with over a billion dollars in revenue and to grow and scale very quickly to be part of the executive of that kind of a company is not easy. And you cannot do it alone, right? You need the help from everybody around you. Because uh, you will do some mistakes. You don't know how to operate in this big of a company. So people were willing to look past those mistakes and give me guidances. Henry was kind enough to give me feedback. We have had, he has given me brutal feedbacks. We had this quarterly thing where I would always meet him quarter going to his office and we spend like big blocks of time. One day he walked into the conference room and started off by giving you super brutal feedback, right? In the first oh five God. minutes, he told so many things. I was like, Oh my God, like I cannot believe this is, but you know, he also has a way of saying that he's not sugarcoating it. He's not a sugarcoating guy. He's very on you, but it comes from a good place where he wants you to improve. It's not to put you down. It is to mm -hmm. give you the honest feedback and then help you figure out how you can come up from that. So yeah, it has been really amazing. I've learned tons and tons from him as a person and him as a leader. Yeah. So can you tell at least two learnings from this whole yeah. experience, which you want to share? Yeah. 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 Good that you said two, because I can keep talking forever. Uh, yeah. Let me let me tell um, two things. One I learned from Henry, one that I learned from the company. One thing that I learned from Henry, uh, I've done two companies, right? And both of those were relatively fast exits. And again, relatively smaller exits. Those were good outcomes, financial outcomes. Also, second one was a really good financial outcome. Founders are set for life. Investors made a really good amount of money, especially the early investors. So it turned out to be a really good outcome. But relatively speaking, it was not a $500 million exit, right? So it was not mm -hmm. a huge exit. Um, so if you look at how Henry has been doing his company, he started at 23 and he's still working with the same company. I've asked Henry, what after Zoom intro? And he does not know that. He has never thought about it that way. His timeline is infinite. That was a huge learning for me. He wakes up every single day, pushes Zoom info forward a little tiny bit. It's a huge company. He cannot push it a lot, but a tiny bit. Next day, a tiny bit. Next day, a tiny bit. And after a quarter, when you look back, the company has grown so much. Then it starts again for the next quarter. Then next quarter, right? So that infinite timeline is something that I have to learn because I don't know how to take that infinite timeline. That's the one huge learning that I've gotten from Henry that I talk about this a lot so that I can learn it properly. Second thing that I learned from the company as such, the amount of effort that the company takes to go to the sales in the proper way. I'll give an example. This is probably a good learning. Imagine you create a new product tomorrow, right? You will start showing it to the customers, right? And I did the same thing. Instead, I created, I showed it to customers. 
it was running in our production instances. You know, I was showing the demo on my production instance. So what that means is sometimes there will be data, sometimes there won't be data, sometimes the analytics shows up, sometimes there's nothing to show in analytics because you know the website is still early stage, whatever. But what I learned from Zoom Info is when you're doing a demo, that demo should be kick-ass, right? Mm -hmm. It should be really, really, the, the data should be perfect. You should be able to show all the features. You shouldn't go into the demo and say things like, yeah, there is no data because this is a sandbox, right? That's not a good mm -hmm. demo experience. You have to do the work to, that. that is probably three or four or five days of additional work for your devs, but do that, right? And build out a really good deck make somebody design that deck. The presentation should be really good, well buttoned up, right? Because you are in the business of exciting somebody so that they can take a bet mm -hmm. on you as a startup, right? And you need to give them enough confidence to do, do that. So that's one learning. How do you take something to the market in the best possible way and do what it takes to do that? That's probably the second one that I would say. Okay. Both are like awesome insights. Like even I'm learning so much from this conversation. I cannot thank you enough for that. Yeah. But like we are coming towards the end of our podcast and uh, I quickly want to discuss how do you decide which company to invest in? You have been invested in multiple companies yourself. So yeah. what is your thought process yeah. towards a company? It varies from people to people how they choose to invest. For me, investing is about giving back. You know, I've been an entrepreneur and I made my money through startups and I want to support founders. Right. So I do a little bit of investing, a little bit of advising. Um, the way I think about investing, I invest in very, very early stage companies. Later stage, I have investments in some funds where they invest in later stage companies and I'm an LP, limited partner in those funds. Um, so on this one, on my own investments, I look at the operator, meaning the founder, because at the early stage, there isn't much more that you can look at, right? There's the founder, there's an idea, right? And the idea could change tomorrow. So I just look at the founder. And when I look at the founder, I look for, are they hungry? You know, are they you know willing to do what it takes to move forward? Do they have grit? Then are they willing to learn fast enough? You know, because whatever you think today is probably wrong and you should be willing to unlearn and relearn again very quickly. So how fast can the founder take some actions to bring in that learning? And once that learning is in, how open they are to take that learning and change their behavior. And that also as a team, right? Not only the one founder, but together as a team, how good they are. And then I also, in some cases, look at like, is it something that I understand? Is it something that I can help them out? Is it a place where I can do connections to them? If yes, then I tend to invest. So I probably have done 18 or 19 investments so far. I've put very few on my LinkedIn, but it's an ongoing process. I get and look at companies almost on a weekly by weekly basis and I uh, invest in some of them. That's very interesting. And I got to learn a lot from this conversation and hopefully the audience also learn uh, from this, listening to this. And this is very inspirational, both your stories, profoundness and incent. And uh, that's, I think this is a good point where we can close the podcast. And thank you so much for joining. And uh, I will look forward to like put this around. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for having me here. Thanks a lot for prompting, reminding and, and you know, making sure that I get on this call. Uh, I appreciate you doing that. And I appreciate you doing the podcast. You know, I'm, I'm happy that you asked the questions and I was able to give as honest answers as possible. Thank you and looking forward. Okay. Thank you so much.